0: Yeah, I am officially a disgruntled customer.
1: <laughs> Could you feel your milk expiring as you sat?
0: <laughs> well, it sucked too, because I was like, Eloise, I'm just going to run a quick errand and we can like get some food while I'm out. And she's like, all right, cool, I'll come with you. And then she had to stand at Home Depot for an hour with me.
1: <laughs> Should have gotten her her first job.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your co-host, Sean Hartman, and I am a string man for the
2: county. Is that? Wow. That's an impressive title to have.
0: Thank you. It just kind of came to me. I was listening to uh, some shuffled playlist on Spotify earlier, and Glenn Campbell's classic Wichita Lineman came on, and then I was listening to this record we're talking about tonight and the song "String Man" came on. I was like, hey, I bet there's something there.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're getting
2: really far ahead of us. <laughs> Slow the train down. Stringman. Well, I am Jeremy Ruggles, the people's champion. The people have been calling for this record for months, nay, years. <laughs> and I am finally bringing the people what they want against mm. these free jazz fascists and folkmongers a true man of the people
1: well once again trying to get right in the record but i got to say who i am first
2: no it's fine go I, ahead folkmonger <laughs> i
1: am <laughs> i am peter cook and i am a stop motion animator for rankin bass animated entertainment
0: My goodness, with all this foreshadowing, there's just no way we could know what record is about to be talked about unless Jeremy tells the people.
2: The people have spoken, and I have brought Kenny Rankin, like a seed. And this will not be a violent revolution, this will be peaceful, like this first track I will play, Peaceful. Side A, track three.
3: sun up by giving him a fresh air full of the wind cup. and i won't be found in the shadows hiding sorrow i can wait for fate to bring to me any part of my tomorrow tomorrow It's all
0: that's just some classic AM gold sound going on there. And you know, I got to say kind of sounds like it's got some hit potential.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That seems like it could have been a hit.
0: It was
2: kind of a hit.
0: Whoa. Was it a hit for Kenny or was it a hit for other people?
2: Well, it was not a hit for Kenny. I don't think any (laughs) songs were actually a hit for Kenny.
0: That also wasn't even the original Kenny version of that song. That's a re-recording from his first album. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's the second version he did. I don't think that Kenny was ready for that kind of fame. Just say who it is, Peter. (laughs) Helen Reddy and Georgie Fame (laughs) had hits with that song, right?
0: Yep, it's true. Cute wordplay, Peter. (laughs) That's Peter's greatest talent. Don't give it away for free, Peter. <laughs> True. There's also a really, really good cover of that song by Bobby Gentry.
2: Ooh, Ooh, I haven't heard. I haven't that heard one. that
0: one. Yeah, Jinx. It's on a playlist that we'll talk about later.
1: All right, I look forward to talking about that playlist. But
0: <laughs> super mysterious.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Let's
2: talk about this
1: mysterious Kenny.
2: Did you know Kenny prior to now, Peter? I know Sean did. You know, I think... I don't remember if this
1: was when you first heard Kenny as well, but the first time, I think Sean had been talking about him and then played some Kenny Rankin for us coming back from our trip to Chicago last year. Oh. As we were coming back on I-94 late at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I believe, my introduction.
2: Nice. Yeah, no, I... I believe Sean showed me Kenny previous to then, uh, because I was like, hey, what's this record? And he's like, it's good. It's Kenny. That's exactly what he sounded like, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember it like it was yesterday. (laughs) I think I hadn't gotten into Kenny uh, much before the infamous Chicago trip. I might have showed Jeremy a little bit before that, but it was around that time that I was discovering this guy along with uh, like Jonathan Edwards, J.D. Souther, and just kind of digging into that sort of folk, country, psychedelic crossover, jazz influence kind of stuff, just seeing which guys sounded like that. And uh, Kenny was one of the ones that stood out to me, and I showed him to you guys, and it was love at first listen. And now here we are, a full year later, actually doing an episode about
2: him. (laughs) It's about time. And I think what you said... When you were like, when I was getting into the psych, country, folk, jazz-influenced weirdos, I think that was what made Kenny never really break through. I feel like he's a... We've talked about this with some other artists previously that I'm blanking on, but that blending of like too many genres to where you're nobody's boy, you know? hmm
0: mm-hmm. Uh a Do lot I of think... a lot of parallels to Buzzy Linhart, I would say, as far as previous artists we've talked about in that vein.
2: Yeah, that would yeah.
1: Oh, on a on a quirkier side, Andy Pratt even.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's clear jazz influence, but it's not jazzy enough for real jazz heads. And then there's clear, like pop and folk influence, but There's, it's like too jazzy for pop and too like, I don't know. It's like not, there's no political or it's not especially deep music, I would say. So the folkies are not going to go for it. It's just in that middle ground.
1: But it's a very soothing middle ground. It's a
2: beautiful middle ground.
1: I get very chill vibes from this middle ground.
0: Yeah, definitely. This is a this is uh it's the kind of music that makes you actually feel good to listen to it. Kenny always just comes off as a very genuine person when I listen to his records. He seems like someone that really loves what he's doing and cares about the music, kind of a true believer, if you will. But yeah, good vibes with every Kenny record.
1: Honestly, dare I say, it's it kind of makes me feel like I wish James Taylor made me feel.
0: Mm. Yeah, (laughs) James Taylor minus a lot of the weird creeper vibes.
1: Yeah, like there's there's things I like about James Taylor's music, but then there's some things that just turn me off. Not even going into, (laughs) yeah, like some of that stuff.
2: Well, you guys want to hear a little about the man
0: himself? I would love to know as much as possible about the man himself.
2: The true people's champion, Kenny Rankin. Born February 10th, 1940, he grew up in the Washington Heights neighborhood in New York City, which he cited as influencing him in that it was sort of a melting pot of various uh, Latin cultures that laid some influence into his sound that you can hear. And then, as he got older, he started hanging out at Greenwich Village. He said he was strongly influenced by Lauren Nero. Have you guys heard Lauren Nero?
1: Yeah, I'm down with the Stone Soul Picnic. That's actually also one of the first artists I think. That's one of the first artists I think of when I hear this as well.
2: I hadn't heard it before researching this, and I was like, "Ooh, who's that?" And she's extremely good. I have no idea if her music's Dollar Bin or not, but... Oh, it's, it's mm-hmm. almost all oh, yeah. Dollar Bin. <laughs> yeah.
0: Extremely easy to find. And oh, yeah, wow. really, really good.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was kind of blown away. So as we are always doing, watch out for a future episode there. <laughs> <laughs> she was mentioned on our first episode because I think she was roommates with Jimmy Spheris. I can't possibly remember back to our first episode. This is episode like 82. (laughs) Give me a break. Well,
0: I hosted that episode and that sounds vaguely familiar, so we'll go with it. I know I've used her on a couple of playlists before as well. She's definitely, a, like I said, a strong bargain bin artist with a lot of similarities to more popular artists at this point.
2: Yeah, so those helped inform his style and getting into the music industry was annoyingly easy, it sounded like. He was bugging his mom about taking voice lessons and he went and did an audition to be with his teacher and the next week this teacher took him to meet Bobby Bromer at MCA Records. And then the following week, they offered him a record deal at Decca Records.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had read that. That's that's so absurd. He's just, just He was just the definition of a natural talent. I've heard him reference things like that a few times where just music has always come extremely easily to him and has always just been a very natural thing for him to accomplish. And he's just, he's taken the... The good times and the bad. He's had like really, really amazing opportunities like that happen and he's been left out to dry and he just kept on going no matter what. True.
2: He, well, this is sort of foreshadowing, but he kept making albums up until he died. He was in the stages of planning another album when he passed away in 2009.
0: Yeah. And his later stuff is honestly really good. I mean, it gets a little smoother with some of his 90s records like every other older artist that was making music at that point, but the content is still really high quality all the way through his career. Yeah.
1: I have to, I have to argue that Scott Walker was not smoother in the nineties, but I digress. (laughs)
4: Wow.
0: There's always some exceptions, some very (laughs) limited (laughs) exceptions.
1: There's, let me just throw a little speed bump down in front of this episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: actually, (laughs)
1: I okay. I am sorry though. Yes. uh,
2: (laughs) I'm gonna keep so Kenny kept. Well, I'm gonna keep mutilating this timeline by referencing a 2002 or 3 interview he did where he was actually talking about how in the 90s he was recording a bunch of jazz standards because a lot of his contemporaries were and were making a bunch of money doing it. So he just. He said, you know, the people offering me the most money wanted me to do that, so that's what I did. But at this point in my career, I just want to make music I wrote and feel like making. So that's what he... I think that might have been his last actually finished album, though, was 2002. But let's jump back, back towards the beginning. Do you guys feel like we're in a time travel sci-fi movie right now? Sure.
1: Yeah, I do. It's uh, dangerous and exciting.
2: So jumping back, he's a youngster, signed to a record label, and they actually bring him on to write songs, and he starts making sort of doo-wop pop music, I guess, and then they had him start writing songs for jazz singers like Peggy Lee and Mel Torme and Helen Reddy as well, as mentioned earlier. Then he caught—I don't know if you call it catching a break—but he was doing session work as well around this time, and they wanted him to play guitar on Bob Dylan's "Bringing It All Back Home." Hmm. So he was like. He was like, What's it pay? And they're like, uh, like sixty bucks a song. And he was like, sweet. So he plays guitar on like Maggie's Farm, Subtraining, Homesick Blues. He's he's on a few of the tracks on that album. Legendary album. True. And this paved the way for him doing his first solo album, which came in nineteen sixty-seven, called Mind Dusters.
0: It's such a cool album title.
2: Yeah. I haven't actually heard that album. I don't is it not easy to find, I'm guessing? It's
0: it's not a particularly valuable record, but it's one of the harder ones of his to find. I just found a copy a copy a few weeks ago. I've only listened through it like once though. It's definitely a little more in the like psych territory.
1: I can say ju- based on just the name that friend of the show David Drucker that would be his favorite one. <laughs>
2: Makes sense. <laughs> Painted Faces. So I haven't heard that album, but he apparently covers Gordon Lightfoot, Bob Dylan, Fred Hellerman, and then he has a few of his originals mixed in there as well. And then around this time, he also was working with I'd Buy That alumni Janice Ian. Oh. Doing some work. Nice. with Nice. Working, making some songs with her. Yeah, kind of as you pointed out with You said that may have been a bit more psychedelic. It felt like his timing was really off with his next album, where he started to shift into more what's, it's not really adult contemporary, but AM Gold. It kind of got more easy listening, and this was right when the hippie 60s were in full swing and. People wanted radical, psychedelic music, and he went the opposite direction. Light rock. Light rock. Let's play... I want to do another song now. I've been talking for a minute. Let's do... uh, I want to do Coming Down.
1: Ooh, yeah, this is a good one.
2: This is Side A, track five.
3: Walking through the city streets At most any hour Running the shoes off my feet Looking for the
1: That song right there perfectly reflects the album cover for me, which, if you haven't seen it, features a small plant growing up through a crack in the asphalt, that's exactly what that song sounds like to me, like uh Kenny just trying to get some life, have some life in this uh hell paved landscape of a world
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense to me i've kind of always thought that the album cover did a really good job of representing the mood of this record and the contrast within it because you know there's the softer songs that he's more famous for and then these occasional kind of not necessarily heavier but definitely more (laughs) rocking than a lot of his stuff and the other thing i always kind of really liked about those songs too is that he still makes them sound just as effortless as he does the more intimate folk-based material
2: for sure there's also more to that metaphor in the cover i don't know if you guys know about
0: uh maybe i have a guess
2: (laughs) yeah so this is his third album like a seed and he wrote this album after coming out of rehab for an addiction to speed. So Mm. this is his first album of all original tunes, and he dedicated it to the Brothers and Sisters of Phoenix House, which was the rehab he was at. So it's also him trying to grow out of, you know, the darkness of his own addiction and personal issues that he's dealing with. And that's especially why I like that song and there's a few others on here that I think Kenny Rankin is an excellent interpreter of songs, Mm -hmm. which is undeniable. But a lot of his original material for me is like good music, but lyrically doesn't hold as much. But this record, part of what drew me to picking this one as opposed to other ones are that there's like, you know, he just came out of this part of his life and it feels like there's strong material there and he's not trying to write pop songs, essentially.
1: I was surprised to see that they were all originals because I kind of knew him in what little I knew prior to this as an interpreter. I feel like he's done a lot of Beatles songs, actually.
2: Oh, yeah. He was invited by... Mr. or I guess Sir Paul McCartney to introduce uh, Paul and John Lennon when they were inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. They brought him there to, you know, be the person who inducted them and then also sang a song. So and that's because Sir Paul was so impressed with his version of Blackbird. Hmm.
1: Okay.
0: And that, that's the song he performed at the ceremony, was Blackbird. And I believe that was one of his most requested songs at concerts as well. It was a pretty famous rendition for him.
2: Yeah. You know, if they're calling Kenny instead of John Denver for that song, you know Kenny's <laughs> version is good. Yeah.
0: Kenny's basically just like the underground John Denver. He's John Denver for the real heads. <laughs>
2: I really
1: liked his take on With a Little Help from My Friends, which, you know, I thought the uh, Joe Cocker version was uh, enough of a reimagining, but then uh,
2: Kenny took it further. For sure. Now I'm going to tell you who's playing on this record.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that was a mighty fine groove on that last track. There must be some real pro musicians playing on this record.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Though I was kind of shocked i didn't realize it was these insane heavy hitters when i've been listening to this album for a while because as you've said it's like effortless sounding music but these are some big names on here got uh jim horn on the saxon Mm. flute he was uh part of the wrecking crew played with our dude john denver The mainstream Kenny Rankin, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He played with Rolling Stones. He played, you know, he was in the Wrecking Crew. He played with everybody, Uh, as was Lee Sklar on the bass, who played with James Taylor, Carol King, Phil Collins. Got Larry Nectal from the Wrecking Crew on keyboards. Oh, yeah.
0: Who was also... In the band Bread, and who also played on the Hamilton
2: Joe Franken-Reynolds record.
1: Whoa. Yeah, yeah. he was also the bassist on the first Doors album.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yep, and he's on uh, Billy Joel records too. Simon and Garfunkel, Bridge Over Troubled Water,
1: that's him on piano.
2: Yeah, and maybe the most famous is Gail LeVent, the harp player. (laughs) who is still playing with huge names. She's played with like Michael Jackson, Liberace, Barbara Streisand, and also like Lana Del Rey, Lady Gaga. Nope. She's played with like the biggest of the biggest names for who knows how long now, 40 years.
0: She was also on Van Dyke Parks song cycle in 67.
2: Oh, yeah, Damn. I saw that. Wow. I fully did not understand this credit, but somebody named Mel Tax is credited with the sweet potato. (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) And I could not find anything explaining what that is, though I did see he's also credited on Kenny Rankin's 1994 album for playing the sweet potato.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really giving the fans what they want. It's true fan service. Yeah. I I like the, I only like the Kenny Rankin albums when he's got that sweet potato on it.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I did a lot of searching around on the internet trying to figure out what that was and could not find anything. (laughs) So if any listeners out there are good at internet sleuthing and can make some sense of that, otherwise, I think it's just one of those inside jokes, maybe.
1: Could be. Now I want to (laughs) know. If you do know, email us at, I'd buy that podcast at gmail.com if you know about the sweet potato
2: on Kenny Rankin albums. You said you recognize a few names on here too, Sean, right? Other names?
0: Uh, The name that jumped out to me the most at first is the other keyboardist on this record, Victor Feldman, who is a name that you'll see popping up as a sideman on jazz records all over the place. I mean, he played with Shelly Mann, Barney Kessel and Woody Herman so like some a lot of a lot of big band credits he played with Miles Davis at one point but he was also a just you know a level session musician who's got hundreds and hundreds of credits uh some of the most famous work he's on basically every steely dan record and he is also one year after this record the keyboardist or one of the keyboardists on uh, Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On yeah
1: so Pretty major works.
0: Yeah, yeah. Pretty pro-level heavy hitter group backing up this record. And still, Kenny's the star
2: on it. Everyone else is just there backing him up, and he really shines. Yeah, some serious pedigree here from old Kenny. Another interesting parallel, I suppose, to our first episode, Jimmy Spears, I've noticed, was that Kenny Rankin seemed like... Buds with a lot of famous people, but was not famous himself. Uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Carson had him on The Tonight Show like 20 times and was a huge admirer of his music. He was buddies with George Carlin and oh, spent yeah. a, a lot of the 80s opening for George Carlin, I guess, on his shows.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny because I I, I saw that. And I, I, you know, I wondered like that's great exposure, but you know, people probably weren't coming to see a musical artist, and and I have to wonder if they can, you know, then uh, followed by comedy, if people would like forget about the great musician they saw before seeing George Carlin live. I don't yeah. know how that works for exposure.
2: Yeah, especially someone as edgy as like George Carlin. <laughs> It just feels like a strange pairing with Kenny. But unfortunately, yeah. that, of course, led to him relapsing into cocaine use, you know, with George Carlin, obviously. hmm It wasn't clear to me anywhere that he fully got sober again at any point. It was, I mean, I guess it was probably a private thing at some point. As to whether or not that's the case, but he uh also sang at Carlin's Memorial service in two thousand eight
1: yeah, yeah, I guess he would have uh Kenny would have passed away the following year, yeah, yeah, so they were obviously obviously pretty close then
2: yeah, and he was also apparently friends with Paul McCartney, so a lot of big name people he was rubbing elbows with, but it never really happened for him his Biggest record was the Kenny Rankin album, which hit number 99 on the Billboard charts. And that was the album he recorded with Don Costa and a 60-piece orchestra, whom, do you guys remember when we mentioned Don before? I don't. (laughs) I don't either. Frank Sinatra, Watertown. Oh, right, 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 right. So... Kenny went and did a similar thing with Don and Big Orchestra and had his biggest hit, but his biggest hit was number ninety nine on the charts. So
0: hmm. that's a great record, by the way, from seventy seven. Another easy one to find. Highly recommended.
2: Yeah, in the one after this, I really like Silver Morning. Mm hmm. That's a high quality record. Let's let's jam yeah. another track. Let's do that. I mean, in- I'm ready. Let's do String Man since that's, uh, you know, Sean referenced it in his title there at the beginning.
0: People have been waiting ever since the intro.
2: Precursor to Spoon Man by Soundgarden.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The secret inspiration.
2: <laughs> Side A, track six String Man.
3: Runs the fastest mile, but he never wins. And if you ask him of the secret that he's got inside.
2: is just mm, pure creamy goodness
0: (laughs) it sure is (laughs) and you know you can't help but focus on how good the vocals are there but when you listen to the backing track it's basically a soul jazz song disguised as pop music in a way
1: yeah those uh the jazzy chords and the vocal Almost uh, reminded me a little bit of uh,
0: Spirit, who
1: we did very early on.
0: Mm-hmm. I could see that, yeah. Yeah, he's just somehow finding that perfect middle ground between psych rock and jazz and folk and pop, and it's just so good.
1: Why isn't this guy more known?
2: I don't know. Now the real heads will start finding him. You know, I'm the people's champion, and I'm bringing the people. Wait, if the people. Hold on.
0: <laughs> you're the true people's champion because you're giving them what they don't know that they need.
2: Yes, that's yes. it. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's sh- about all I got on Kenny. You got any music for the people, Sean?
0: Yeah, there's there's so many cool little angles you can look at, Kenny Rankin, as far as contemporaries and influences and recommended further listening. Uh, And I have a whole playlist of things just like that. Most of it's Bargain Bin music as well. So put a Laura Nero track on there doing a Motown cover of the song The Bells. Phoebe Snow is on there for more of the kind of uh, soulful inspiration. I put a few jazz tracks on there by artists like the Crusaders to kind of showcase some of the soul jazz influence going on. And then a little bit weirder, folky influence stuff. Uh, Tim Buckley is on there. Thought that was an interesting comparison. Minnie Ripperton, who we've talked about before, Joni Mitchell, who we've referenced on the show plenty of times. Another guy who I think has actually a really similar vocal style, especially when you listen to Kenny's more smoothed out jazz influence stuff. Michael Franks, I think, is a really good, similar artist for people to dig into. Bobby Gentry's version of Kenny's song Peaceful is on there. Jimmy's Fierce, who we've mentioned. Mel Torme, The Carpenters, Harry Belafonte, Peggy Lee, and so much more. You can find the playlist on Spotify, all two hours of it. Just search I'd Buy That Podcast, all one word, to find this and every other
2: season two playlist. I feel a two-hour bubble bath coming on now. Ooh, (laughs) perfect.
1: Ooh, that sounds like the... Ideal way to consume that playlist. You out there, listener, if you like what you're hearing and want more, you can always head over to patreon.com slash i That Podcast and pledge to support us and receive more content in return. So check that out if you're interested. We just had another sign up. Thank you, Wes. Solid where we really appreciate all the support from our patreon followers and if you're interested in becoming one once again patreon.com slash i buy that podcast what else we got what do we want to do before we get out of here
2: i don't have anything else.
0: no closing thoughts i have one closing thought um i feel like any day that I've gone in like a serious multiple hours of digging at like multiple stores, any day I've done that, I have found a Kenny Rankin record. This is like definitely one of the easiest bargain bin artists to find that we have talked about on this show. And as I've said before, there is no bad Kenny Rankin record. So if you enjoyed any element of stuff you've heard today, get ready. They're all out there. They're all cheap. They're all good.
1: Yeah. For some reason, I was under the impression that he had more country sounds than I am hearing on this record. Does is some of his stuff lean in that direction a little bit more?
0: Um there's there's some elements of it here and there. Um oftentimes more folk influenced folk. than country, I would say, mm. even though there's they're very similar. And then yeah, later on it's more jazz influenced. Uh especially like the kind of quiet storm pop jazz stuff.
2: True. And I would, my last thing, I would guess I would just like to reiterate is, as nothing we played here was a cover, but that is definitely, if not his strongest point, one of his strongest points is his interpretation of classic songs. So go and check that out too. I'm sure there's some of that on the playlist, I'm guessing, right, Sean?
0: Yeah, there is. and. Um, so, he, like you mentioned, his last studio record was in 2002, but in 2015, he put out a live album called The Bottom Line Archive, and it's a really good live record with a lot of good examples of his interpretation of other people's songs, so that's one I would recommend for people to dig into.
2: I believe in the power of Kenny, Sean, but I really don't believe he put that out. seeing how he was dead? Yeah.
0: Well, the re- okay. I'm. I'm looking at the details here. Spotify has 2015 as the date on it, but it was recorded in 1990. I think it was actually released in 2015, unless the date's just entirely incorrect on in here. But it still stands that that is a good live record with good Kenny songs on it. So
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that things can be released posthumously. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> true.
1: Uh, well, Jeremy, what have you decided to? leave us with uh,
2: this I time. want to leave the people with bad times make you strong because I like oh. this song and I think that's a great message
1: yeah something to keep in mind as we sally forth here
2: well thank you
1: so much for listening to yet another fine episode of I'd buy that for a dollar I am Peter Cook.
0: I'm Sean Hartman.
2: And I'm Peter Hartman. No, I'm Jeremy Ruggles.
1: Oh, you...